you got a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians. We have made it to chapter 13. Can you believe that? So we are uh, done with chapter 12 and moving on to chapter 13 and uh, a great chapter. Possibly one of the best chapters that Paul wrote under the inspiration of, of, of the Holy Spirit. And uh, written very well, written very, um, you know, very moving and also has a, a lot of great points in it. Um, probably most of us have heard some of these verses at a wedding, most likely, um, in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, but as you know, we have been working our way through this book, and Paul had wrote this letter to Cor- the church at Corinth. Um, the church at Corinth was struggling because uh, they were young in the faith, saved out of a very bad background. Like Corinth, you know, Corinth was like Las Vegas today, or even worse than that, it's just very... Um, very, very uh, steeped in sin, a lot of loose living, a lot of um, prostitution, a lot of uh, just, just, you name it, it was there. And so uh, as, uh, as it's a great place to plant a church, to preach the gospel, to see people come to know Christ, but uh, when they are, after they become to know Christ, you know, it's not like a, a magic button happens where all that stuff in the past goes away and you never fall back to some of your old temptations or you never fall back in the flesh. Well, um, it's still there. And so these were young believers. They were easily uh, convinced of other things that, uh, you know, uh, teachers had come in to um, preach about and teach about. And of course, uh, most of them did not have uh, good intentions. Um, some of them may have just been, you know, not, very, not trained very well. Um, but obviously, some of them were uh, wolves in sheep clothing. They were um, there for a purpose. And some of them were the Jewish people who were upset that this movement had started, or this uh, you know this Christianity thing were, was was starting to take off, and yet they were wanting to prove that they were just as spiritual, and that Jesus really didn't have much uh, other than what the Jewish people already had, and uh, as well as Paul. Um, Paul was a good guy, but he wasn't really a great preacher like Apollos, or he wasn't a really great speaker. He didn't have a lot of gifts like I have this gift and you have that gift. In chapter twelve, we really d- dove into how. Um, the church had become a show or more entertainment. And the more entertaining or the more uh, show they could put on, the more that people were wowed. I mean, literally, it was a carnival uh, atmosphere. And Paul rebukes them about the Lord's Supper. He rebukes them um, about their services. He rebukes them about their, um, you know, their uh, church services. He rebukes them about their factions and fightings. And so when chapter 13 opens up, I'm sure it's it was like a breath of fresh air because, you know, in chapter 13, he begins to expound uh, on what it really means to have Christ in your life. And more specifically, even here, what it means to have a relationship with God and to have a true relationship with God, then also be a church that's full of the Holy Spirit and full of Jesus Christ and full of God's understanding and purpose and mission for it. And so um, Paul uh, opens up, uh, actually closes chapter 12 Um, I'll read 31, and I'm going to read all of chapter 13. We probably won't be able to get through um, the majority of it, but I just want to read it. That way we can have it in your minds as we go to talk about it. Um, But chapter 12, uh, 1 Corinthians, verse 31 says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So just got done talking about all those gifts. Now he says, Uh, desire the best gifts, but I also want to show you a more excellent way. uh, Chapter 13, though I speak with the tongues of men, uh, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, 
but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my good, uh, goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does, does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I, as I also am known. And now abide, uh, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three but the greatest of these is love. Now, um, when we think about this uh, chapter here, one thing's really to make sure that we, um, we really dive in on is, is love. Because obviously this is the love chapter or the chapter that Paul wrote talking about love. But in our culture, in our world, we have a skewed view of love, right? I mean, what we consider at love in our, in our culture and in our, in our world uh, that we live in today is not the love that is talked about here. Now, uh, in our English language, we only have one word for love, but we use it in different ways, right? Um, so we, if you get the context of it, sometimes you can understand it. Like, you know, I love ice cream, right? So that's one love, but that's not the same way when I say I love Aaron, right? So when you say you love your spouse, it's much different than saying you love ice cream or I love to watch Street Outlaws, right? I mean, that's one, that's one way of saying love, but, or I love to watch Hallmark if you're a Hallmark watcher, right? But anyways, you, you say it, and we, we have to know the perspective of it to understand that. Well, in the Greek, they were very specific because they had three different words for love. In their language, they had three different types of love. First was just the eros love, A-R-O-S, and that is a sensual kind of love. Um, that would be a physical love, like you, you had a, a physical, sexual desire that's a physical love. Like, I love this because it gives me some, it fulfills a desire that I have. And so then that's the first type of love. The second type of love is the phileo love, P-H-I-L-E-O, um, where we get our word Philadelphia or the city of brotherly love, right? And uh, I went to Philadelphia and I said this before, there's not a whole lot of brotherly love in Philadelphia, all right? Because um, as you, you hear these terms, it means a friendship kind of love, a love that 
you might have with a friend or a common man or some other type of person, a phileo love or a, a friendly type of love. But then there's the third Greek word, and this is what the word we really need to zero, zero in on, and is agape love, A-G-A-P-E. I don't know why last time I said A-J-A-P-E when I preached, but anyways, it's agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape love. Um, agape love is basically as easily as you can describe it as God's love. It is the love that only comes from God. And that's why it's so important for us to understand love. Uh, love that comes from God is radically different from this world because of its creator, because of its source. And so when we as Christians say we love someone, there's a depth to it that's much different than what the world says and much different than what a friendship kind of love is or much different than what we can love in a human perspective. And so as Paul begins to expound on this, he's saying, here's the deal with all these things that you have, prophecies and tongues and all these other knowledges, and we'll go through the whole list He's saying the one, that, the one thing that's going to describe you or be the litmus test for all these gifts and all the things that you're claiming to be a Christian and all the things you're claiming to be the body of Christ is do you have love? Do you have God's kind of love? Do you love one another with God's love? Do you love your world like, uh, and the people of the world with God's kind of love? Do you love uh, one another in the church like Uh, God loves them. And he's saying from all these things, we can take and look to it. And if it doesn't have love in it, uh, and specifically God's love in it, then it's it's not it's not what you're called to be. It's it's fake or it's phony. It's matter of fact, he calls it useless. And so they were pursuing these secondary things when they should have been pursuing the primary thing is knowing God and loving people. And then Everything else stacks off of that. But yet they were, they were pursuing the gifts. They were pursuing the knowledge. They were pursuing education. They were pursuing uh, all, these, uh, all these gifts per se, but yet they wasn't pursuing God. And I don't know what it is, but it's just in our nature, and especially, especially people who have a walk with the Lord, and sometimes uh, uh, a lot of churches um, end up falling for this as well. You could read through the Bible and see this. Um, but they have a difficulty sticking with God's love, right? Um, the church at Ephesus, you remember when Jesus rebuked the church at Ephesus, what did he tell them? You left your first love, right? That's what he told them. First and foremost, beyond anything else, you left your first love. And that was a, that was a rebuke that Jesus brought to the church because they were supposed to be known for love. And then others, um, we tend sometimes to pursue theology, and we are so theologically straight, but yet... We have zero love for people. Like, we just want to tell them how much knowledge we have and how much education we have, but we don't share God's love with them. Like, that's the missing equation. And for us, even as a a church, sometimes we pursue excellence in worship and music and in, in, in guitar playing and speaking and lecturing and having the right lights and having the right mood and having all the, the right things in, in a physical sense and in in appealing to the eyes and the ears, but yet the ingredient of love is missing. That's, that's what Paul is getting at here. Listen, you can be extremely talented. You can have these gifts that you have pursued. You can have this great knowledge and prophecy and all this stuff, but if you don't have love, 
If you don't have God's kind of love, then you're not marked by who He is and you're not His people. And I'm not saying a, a, a perverted or a worldly kind of love. I'm talking about a kind of love that you can't find anywhere else than, other than God and God's people. And that's why it's so important for us to remember this as a church. Like, I don't care how small you are, how big you are. If you have the love of God, that's all that matters. That, that's what matters when people see and they can experience and they can understand God and His love. And not just a, a worldly kind of love, like I said, like, you know, just feelings and goosebumps and, you know, those, that type of things. Because when you leave from a, a something like that, uh, when the next feeling comes along, guess what goes out the door, right? That feeling comes and goes. And that's why you can't be led by your feelings. And that's why we as Christians can't be led by our, our gifts or can't be led by, uh, as Paul was even teaching them here, these are all things that are part of this. But when you start pursuing those things, you've missed the main thing. And the main thing is to exhibit God's love. How does God's love come? By walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he talks about when it comes in full, meaning that the, one of the fruit of the spirits of God and one of the main fruits of the Spirit, um, several years ago I did a, a study on fruit of the Spirit, and we, we learned that the hub of all the other fruit come off of love. That's the, core of who, that's the core of who we are to be as God's people, and the core fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And everything else comes out of that, the joy and the peace and the kindness and the gentleness. It all hubs around love, much like God. Uh, God is love. Yes, that's true. But at the core, who he is is holiness. We talk about this in Deuteronomy. This week, we get to, get to go to chapters four and chapter five. One thing that's clear, when you get done with Deuteronomy, you understand that God is God and he don't want anyone else even close to who he is, period. Because he, ha he has the right for that. He has the character for that. And you shall, you, shall, uh, you, you shall make no other image close to God. You shall have no other idol uh, in your life. But God, he is for first and foremost. And you better not even take his name in vain. That's what he says. I mean, he, one thing's for clear. He is God and there's no one like him. And what makes him that is his holiness. Now, out of that holiness will flow love and it will flow uh, grace and mercy, but it never overcomes his holiness. Same with a Christian. You can be talented. You can have gifts. You can have knowledge. You can have education. But when it overrides love in your life or the fruit of the Spirit, love, Paul says, he begins in this chapter and he tells them, here's, here's how foolish this sounds because it doesn't matter what you have or what gift you have pursued. Um, you've missed it. And he, he even, uh, like I said, in the very beginning here, he speaks and he says, uh, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. But he says, even if I have a heavenly, a heavenly speech, or if I had a, a, a tongue of man, he says, but I have not love. It's like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You ever heard of sounding brass or clanging cymbal? I did when we bought Tanner drums one year for Christmas. All right, I heard what a clanging brass or clanging cymbal was. Uh, it literally is just a useless noise that really it just becomes annoying after a while, right? And what he's saying, it's useless. You say you have, you could have the most beautiful tongue or language or speech, but if someone knows that you don't have God's love, what good is it? It's like, it's like a brass, a uh, sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Uh, he says, although you have prophecy, we talked about the gift of prophecy, of understanding all these mysteries. He says, you can have all these, uh, the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge. And though, uh, uh, and though I have uh, all, all faith, right? If you can think you can pursue God to move mountains, 
but you have not, not have love, I am nothing. This is Paul speaking this even for his own life. And verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods and feed uh, to the poor, this is great to give to the poor. It's great to um, give to people who are in need. That's something we should do. That's something we should do as a church. We're called to take care of orphans and widows and those who are, are, are needy. But when the church changes its mission to only be something that feeds or clothes or gives physical nourishment to people, they've lost their mission. Because we as God's people are the only ones who can give God's love to people or people to see God's love in us. And when we take that out of the equation, then we're just nothing. We are literally sounding brass or clanging cymbals. And even so, he says, if I even give my body to be burned like a like a martyr, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. So, I mean, it's pretty clear. He makes a pretty strong statement here. And that's why when we talk about our church and we talk about um, church gone wrong, when you walk away or you leave behind God's love and you pursue these other things, even if they're good things, even if they're gifts or you know, feeding the poor or you know, uh, try, uh, learning education or prophecy or theology, if you walk away from the main thing, which is love, it profits you nothing. So that's what he's trying to tell him. Like all those things you can get in the world. You can go to a, a university and get that from education. You know, one, of the, one of the things that I noticed uh, when I went through seminary is different uh, professors, um, you could tell the ones who really loved uh, uh, who, they, who they minister to and the ones that was just there to show off their education or show off how smart they are. You know what I mean? Because it comes across very evident. I'm sure any person that's ever been through school, even through teaching, when you get a teacher that actually loves what they do and loves their students, it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, sports is like this. Um, man, there was coaches that you would play for um, that wouldn't give a rip about you, could care less about you, and you knew it. And so when they tried to motivate you to work out or to do something, guess what? It was like one ear out the other. But man, when you had a coach that you knew cared for you and loved you and wanted the best for you, and they pumped you up, you'd, you'd want to run through a brick wall for them. You, you want to go out there and win the game for, for, the, for the team and for, for, for your uh, school. But yet, that, that was the difference. The difference was the love part of it. And, and for us as Christians, when we move past that part and we begin to, we begin to pursue these things of the world, that's where the trouble comes in. And, and I'm afraid, even in our culture today, I don't think it's any surprise that the churches are in the condition that they are. Um, I, just, I look through Facebook sometimes, not just for me personally, to hear sermons and to hear uh, other people's churches. And this is not a judgment on anybody by any means, but I will say the majority of Christianity in America today has taken out God's Word from the pulpit. You know why? Because they feel like it's offensive. And in that part of that, they want to appease some sort of uh, speech or appease some sort of gift that they might have that they've pursued to be able to say it real good and make people feel really, really good about themselves and have a great experience. Well, if you have a great experience, but you don't ever come into contact with God's love, what good is that? Like, like Paul's saying, like you can pursue all these things, but if you're not coming across with God's love, and you're not, you're not pursuing that, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not um, giving that to people when they come in contact with you, what, what good is it? And you know, it's not just in a church. We can think about this even in our own home, right? For those that are parents. I mean, you can feed and clothe and take care of your children physically and give them money and you can give them a car and you can give them um, good, a good house to live or a great room. But if you don't give them God's love, 
Have you really done what God's called you to do? I mean, why is it that some people, even in their home, that like the parents who are usually the best parents, they may not have been able to give the best house or the best car, the best things, but they knew that their parents loved them. That's what carries on. Like, like for me in my life, I know that I had a lot of a good things. I was thinking about some of the good things my dad gave me when I was growing up. I remember my first truck, a 1983 F-150 Blue with uh, cherry bombs on it. It was a 302 with a, a four-speed with a granny gear. Like, you rednecks know what that is. But anyways, uh, I can remember that truck had Mug King tires on it, 33-inch Mug King tires on it. Man, I loved that truck. Man, it was great. But you know what I loved more than that truck? My mom and dad who gave it to me because I knew it was just not a possession that they were giving me. They gave that to me because they loved me. And I can remember growing up and I can remember going fishing. I was trying to catch fish. Guess who was busy fixing my pole all the time? My dad was. Not because he had to, but because he loved me and he cared for me. I can remember riding motorcycles. Anybody ever have kids that ride motorcycles? You know what happens. They never start. They never finish. They always have to be worked on, right? So you let them ride. And what do you do? You work on it. You take care of that. And those things, uh, not exactly knowing what or how or how great they are, but knowing the person that has those things or exhibited those things in your life loved you. They cared for you. And it has been said that people will, far, uh, people will forget what you say, but they'll never forget how you make them feel. And it's so true for us as Christians. People will forget your words, but they'll never forget if you showed them God's kind of love. They'll never forget that. And let me tell you, sometimes we don't think people are paying attention. We don't think people, we're impacting people in our life. But let someone go through a tragedy or let something happen in someone's life that brings them to a point to where they feel like they need God. And I guarantee you, they'll come knocking on your door or calling you or texting you and saying, hey, you showed me love when no one else showed me love. There's something in you that's different than anywhere else. You know what that is? That's love. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about. You, you have fallen for this, this facade of being this perfect and this uh, great show and this great communicating and all these gifts that you are pursuing, but yet you miss the main thing. It is to have God's love and to show God's love. And then he tells us why it's so great. And uh, we're going we're gonna to dig into this, talk about God's love, and as he expands it um, here, um, as he begins with the first, um, with the first group here, um, he says, love, um, let me get down my notes here. I'm just glad I got notes tonight. Um, first one, he says, love is patient. It's like, oh man, pastor, you had to hit me with that one, right? <laughs> Already. It's Wednesday night. I know how this week was, right? But, but listen, he begins with love is patient. Um, love is patient. When you think about it, um, patience is the word that we literally get macrothumos from in the Greek. Um, it literally is like a thermos. Anybody ever have a thermos uh, that they take to school or they take to work and you put something hot in it? What does it do? It keeps it hot. Uh, well, some of you may have the Yeti cups, right? The reason why you have a Yeti cup is it keeps something cold or it keeps something hot. Why does it do that? Because it's insulated and it, what's on the inside takes a long, long time to be able to get to the outside. And what Paul is saying is love is literally long-tempered, long-suffering. That means when someone that you're in contact with, whoever they may be, um, it's the ability to be patient with that person, even though you may be inconvenienced or um, not treated kindly in, in return, right? It's not like you're kind to someone and they're kind back. That's, a, that's, that's, not, that's not really patience. 
It's when you're kind to someone and they're not kind back to you. Or it's when you're kind to someone or you do something for someone and yet you don't quite get the, the reciprocating part of that or they let you down or they do something that is outside of what you um, would prefer. And so in our hearts and our lives, how we deal people when they're not exactly in agreement with us says a lot about us. And especially people who we don't think that we need, right? Someone told me, you really show your true character and how you treat someone who you don't need. And it's how you treat that person that you don't need in your life. And if you're a Christian and, you're, and you're, you are patient with people, even though they're inconvenienced, or even though they don't do exactly what you want to, you have this patience about you that's, that's long-suffering in the fact that you can, you can put up with a lot of stuff without blowing up or without chewing out or without treating someone unkind or losing your cool. And, and, and if you think about it, uh, when we... We think about this in our own life with how God displayed that. I mean, literally, it says in, in 1 Peter, I'm sorry, it says in 2 Peter, that he is long-suffering to, to those who are not saved, so much so that he is willing to um, wait for them or try to wait for them to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ before the second coming of Christ. That's what he says. He said he's not will that any should perish because he, he has patience for people. He has this love that endures with people even though they may be rejecting him. And even though in, even in our own life, how long did God, uh, as we as sinners, and even when, before we'd even understand what we were as sinners, that even while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I mean, that's incredible patience. That's incredible long-suffering that, that we, would, we, would, we would be an enemy of God, but yet He would still show us His love. He would still show us this, this kindness, this love that comes from God. And, and for us, that's what He's saying for us as Christians. It's, it's, it's being patient with those who are around you and suffering long with people. And if you look to your life and how you treat people, especially people that's in your life that you go to church with or brothers, sisters in Christ, you shouldn't be bickering back and forth and arguing and fighting. You remember they had all these factions there at Corinth. And Paul said, I'm even embarrassed to say some of the things you're arguing over. And isn't it true you've heard churches before arguing over like the color of carpet or, or lighting or seating? Good Lord, I'm not going to change the seating. I know that's a tough one, right? But uh, arguing over different things. I mean, silly things that churches actually split from. And you get down to it, and when the outside world looks at that and says, if they, if they don't have patience with one another, and they treat one another that way, what, what difference is that in the bar or the social club or you know, my friends at, at, the, at the club? There's no difference. Like, that's, that's what they must see in us is something that's different that even when we don't agree, even when we don't get our way, we're patient that we suffer long, that we, we love on people even though they may not be exactly who they need to be or they may not do what we exactly want them to be. We're patient, we listen. And then off, also off of that, Paul says the counterpart of, the, of being patient on the inside is love is kind. Um, that's the counterpart. So patience is in the inside, but kindness is on the outside. It, it's, it's able to be uh, useful and serving, and it's an act of goodwill. Uh, it's you taking that, that long-suffering inside of you and still exhibiting kindness or goodwill towards someone. Um, you know, it's, it's, Jesus speaks about this when he's talking to the Pharisees. He tells the Pharisees, you think you love God because you love your friends. But he said, if you know me, you will not only love your friends, but you'll love your 
enemies. Remember, he says, you tell me you love your friends, but you really want to know what the love of God is or the love of Jesus Christ in your life. You don't only just love who, your friends, but you will love your enemies. And you will love people who despise you or reject you because that's patience on the inside. But yet now kindness on the outside is treating, is putting feet to that patience and being kind to one another. I know this is tough, but you know, the first kindness that we normally have is towards our family, right? And I'm guilty of this, I must admit, because I could be kind to a lot of people and they call me on the phone or they inconvenience me at a certain time. But with my family, sometimes I'm not so kind, you know, especially Tucker. He kind of has been getting a wrath lately because he's been working with me. And so he'll ask some crazy question or do something really, really, well, might not, I ain't going to say dumb. But anyways, it's not the smartest thing to do. And so, I, you know, whereas other people, I'm very kind in trying to teach them and show them. With him, I'm kind of like, get with it. You know what I mean? Like, come on, what's wrong with you? Did I drop you on your head? Well, actually, I did do that when you were a baby. But anyways, I, you, you, you lose that kindness. And then, not even speaking about our spouses, right? I mean, and you, you, if you talk about, you know, in your life, how, how easy it is to be unkind to your spouse. That you can speak and you can talk to everyone. And, and even, even me guilty, being mean or upset or not being kind and someone calls and it's like, hello, how you doing? You know, what's up? And Aaron's like, don't talk to me like that, you know, <laughs> like I'm, and I call you, you're like, what, what do you need? What do you want? You know, and it, it, it's so true for us as, as Christians, though, this is what we should exhibit to, to our family, like, like for us as dads and for us as moms, that not only are we patient with our children, but we're kind towards them, that we, we, we show them this sacrifice, that we, we put our feeling aside to be helpful to them, useful to them, to be kind to them. And then not only that, but people we go to church with. You know, a lot of times we, we may not say good morning to someone or we may not, we might get upset with somebody and not really show them this kindness. And Paul's coming, he's saying, listen, love is patient and love is kind. You have this, you have this ability in your heart to not hold things against people. And yet when you exhibit it in your life to be kind to one another, they go together inside and outside. And then the third one, he says, love is not jealous. Um, this is the first of eight negative descriptions of love. Paul says, not, you know, love is patient, love is kind, but he says love is not jealous. So love is mutually exclusive to jealousy. Um, and jealousy is, is a form that says, I want what someone else has. Now, this one's tough, I know. Because you come to church and look over and someone seems to have everything that you want and you're looking at it thinking, well, why is my life this way and God has blessed this person that way? right? It's easy to play that game. Why am I sick and that person's well, right? Why does that person have uh, these kind of possessions and I don't have these kind of possessions? And what happens in that type when you have jealousy towards someone? You want to see them do bad, right? Someone said, if you want to know, you really know if you have jealousy in your heart, let someone succeed or do well and see how you feel about them, you know? Like a lot of times we say we love someone until they get a promotion or we love someone until they get a nicer car than you, right? Or we love someone until they get a bigger house, right? And it's not just with us, it's with even our spouses and with others, you know, that there's this, there's, and even with other brothers and sisters in Christ, you serve the Lord and someone comes up to you and says, wow, your testimony really touched me. Well, what about my testimony? 
You know, or, or you sing a song. Wow, that really sounded great. Well, you didn't tell me I sounded great, right? You, you, you become jealous and it begins to work this desire in your heart that you want something more or you want something that someone else does so much so when it leads down to the root cause of it, you have a strong desire or a zeal for that person to do bad. So when you have that jealousy, what does that lead to? It always leads to talking bad about people. Listen, if the majority of your conversation to people in your life about people at church or brothers and sisters in Christ is a negative thing, then there's a problem there. Like, like that, that's something that shouldn't be there. Like when you get together and you talk about one another, you talk about all the bad and you never talk about good. I mean, that's something that as you talk about in, in this being a Christian and loving someone, you want people to be successful. You want people to be godly. You want people to succeed. And you should want especially your brothers and sisters in Christ to do that. And when you are jealous, you want to tear them down or you want to bring them down a few notches or you want to begin to criticize them. And I'm sure Paul felt this. Paul's, uh, you know, there in the church and he was moved on and all of a sudden he got these word back like, hey, Apollos, he's an awesome preacher. Paul, you were a little slow. You had a hard time seeing, you know, you didn't have really good illustrations, you know. But this Apollos guy, he's awesome. You know why they were doing that? Because they were jealous, right? Because they were wanting to poke at Paul. They were wanting to cause Paul to have some sort of jealousy in his heart because he's wanting jealous. You know what I've learned about jealous people? Is they want you to be jealous too. You notice that? Like, jealous people aren't just happy being jealous by themselves. They want other people to be jealous. That's why it always leads to talking about people. Did you see what so-and-so wore, or what she said, or what they did, right? And you, you constantly want to do that. And Paul's saying, this is not God's love. When you have this love for people, you want them to succeed. It's true, as, even as a good parent, right? You want your kids to succeed. You want to cheer them on. I, I want my kids to do way greater than I've ever done. I want my kids to have better than I've ever had. I want God to be more in their life than he ever was in my life. And one of the, if you look to the Bible, you see several examples of this. Um, first, even in the very beginning, you see um, Cain and Abel, right? I mean, Cain was jealous of Abel because God accepted Abel's offering. And he didn't accept Cain's. And Cain was mad. Cain was jealous. So even from there uh, in Genesis as well, another one's Joseph. You remember Joseph's brothers? I mean, why would they do what they did to their brother? Because they were jealous. They, they didn't want him to succeed. And when he succeeded, and he got the coat of many colors. I wonder what that thing looked like, by the way. you imagine? I always think of something like, you know, Ric Flair's robe or something. You know, like it's just, it's just something out. And you're like, whoa, look at that. You know, obviously it was very expensive. And it had a lot of color and flair to it. And it had a, you know, really represented, I think more than anything, it represented the favor of God because they knew he was going to do something, which is it's an incredible story especially when you go back and put all the pieces together with Deuteronomy that the 12 tribes of Israel come from his other 12 sons, but yet Joseph, who was rejected by his brother, redeems the whole nation. Think about that. Because in the New Testament, what happens? Jesus comes, he's rejected by all his brothers and and of Israel. And what does he do? He redeems the whole world. So that is a great picture. And when you think about it, you know, that jealousy between those two, even uh, think about Daniel in the lion's den, the jealousy of the fellow officials in there. Remember, he looked better and was doing better than anyone else. And it made a man say, let's throw them into the fiery furnace. Like, let's, let's go ahead and get rid of them. And all these things that come, like, we should not be jealous of one another. And when we are jealous and we're tearing down one another, we want to see people do bad. 
And when somebody brags on someone or compliments someone, it, jealousy would want to take them down a few notches. But love's not like that. Love says, yeah, that person's great. That person is, is, is godly. That person, we, love always builds up and doesn't tear down. So love is not, uh, is not jealous. Um, so fourth thing, second part of the love's not, love does not brag, right? Um, the word brag here, um, is used nowhere else in the New Testament. The root word of this is conceit. So they are conceited. Um, these are the kind of people that when you have this in your life and you're bragging and you are conceited and you're, uh, another word would be arrogant, right? So not only are you tearing other people down, but you're constantly wanting to build yourself up. In my home, we call them one-uppers, right? Don't be a one-upper. That's what we always say. Someone tells a story, and what do you have to do? One-up that story, right? Like, it's, it's compulsive in a person to want to be, say something about themselves that makes them better than someone else. And yet, Paul comes and says, love does not do that. You are not conceited, and, and you are not one that's arrogant. We're not spiritual show-offs or constantly vying for public attention. And, and, and it goes so much even so as we worship God and we serve the Lord if we do something that takes away from God and his, the focus from Him, then we are, we are puffed ourselves up. We are wanting to brag on ourselves, and it should be to God and to Him alone. And as we, as we see that in people's life, we shouldn't want to be a spiritual show-off. And God's love certainly doesn't brag. It doesn't certainly, certainly does not show, show off. He doesn't boast of Himself all the time or, or, or part of those things. And so, uh, like I said, as, as, you know, as kindness is the outward representation of patience. You know, jealousy is the inward part and the counterpart that on the outside is bragging. When you hear somebody bragging all the time and talking about themselves all the time, then that person is an extremely jealous person, right? They, they, don't have the, they don't have the contentment in their own heart for who they are and wanting to see other people succeed, so they want to brag about themselves to build themselves up. They are conceited. Look how spiritual I am. Look how much I know. Look how much theology I know. Look how much I know more than compared to you. Look how spiritual I am because I can pray. Jesus confronted this, did he not, with the Pharisees? You remember? He confronted it several ways. One of them was the offering. They had this weird way of taking the offering. And uh, they had this, this system where it was like a, a bowl. And then uh, the best way I could describe it is almost like when your kids go in, they want a gumball in one of those machines that goes down all the way around the whole thing. It makes a bunch of noise and pops out at the bottom. That's similar to the way they took the offering in the temple. And so when someone would come in with a widow's mite, per se, right? You know the story. Puts it in there. It's only one little tink, and it goes around and falls, compared to someone that puts in, you know, a big offering, um, like Roger, and it goes in there. No, <laughs> puts in a, has a lot of money, and they put in a... <laughs> I'm sorry, I should, I should have used the... <laughs> Financial Peace University. I could do a plug for that one right now. Uh, but anyway, see, he puts in a big offering. All of a sudden, it was like all this noise, ding, ding, ding. And everybody turned around and was like, oh, somebody just gave a huge offering. Wow. Right? But Jesus looked at him. What did he say? You looked on the outward appearance, but I looked on. There's one person in here that gave more than anyone else gave in here. And you know what it was? The widow's might. It was the widow. Because he doesn't look at how much you have. He looked at, he looked at the heart. But yet that person was bragging, and yet sometimes when we see those things, we, they lift themselves up, and they, even so, they would seat the, the people who gave the bigger offerings down in the front, and those who gave smaller offerings would sit in the back. 
And so they, they begin to sort these things out. And the more you could brag and the more you can include yourself in ways of speaking and doing these things, you, you tended to be elevated. But Paul says, that's not love. That's not love because love doesn't promote yourself. Love, love doesn't brag. Love doesn't, love doesn't come out of the way and say, look at me. And by the way, this is, this is something to watch out for just even in theology in, in general. And even not just theology, but practice of ministry. When you go to a church that that tends to fall towards legalism, this is, this is the same exact road that legalism goes down. Legalism is not, hey, let's be like Jesus. It's, hey, be like me. Look how good I am. And if you can be like me, which you never could be because I'm really, really good person. And I'm really, really keeping all the, all the commandments of God. But yet, it, 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 we're not saying be like Christ. We're saying, look at me. I'm, I, don't, I don't drink. I don't chew. And I don't go with girls who do, right? You, you see, you hear people bragging about everything they don't do, and they're constantly bragging, and they're doing these things. Paul's saying, that's not it at all. Like, you're, you're following after these people that's self-promoting and bragging about themselves, but if they don't have love, if they don't have the love of God in them, what good is it? Like, that's what we should be pursuing, not, not showing off, not doing those things, but, but not doing those things. And also, uh, he moves on to another knot, um, love is not arrogant. Um, so arrogant here is the word that means superior, um, and it means that we, um, you, you have this superiority in the behalf that you become so good that you don't serve one another. You're not humble anymore. Let me tell you, when you get too big to serve, you're too big, right? I mean, you look at Jesus Christ, when he came and his disciples, remember he, he took off, he took off and he got down and he washed his disciples' feet. And he said, for you to be in my kingdom, it's not, a, it's not about how you look. It's not about being superior. It's not about being the biggest or the grandest. It's about the one who will serve. And if you want to be great in my kingdom, you'll be a servant. You'll be one who will serve. And regardless how big or how, how great we think we are, we should never get to the point where we're so arrogant that we do not serve. And this is another important thing to watch out in church. When you have a group of people that has been set aside, and let me tell you, I, I'm the first one to say, there are gifts for teachers, there are gifts for preachers, there are these gifts that God has given to the church that are speaking roles that people automatically are put in a position of, of, of attention, you know, that people will uh, be attentive to them, they will hear them, they will be part of leaders, will be part of that, and those gifts that God has given. The, I'm not talking about that in a general sense of, of how a church functions, but I'm talking about when you get a group of people that is part of leadership that says it's good for you, but it's not good for me. Like you need to serve, but you're never going to see me serving because I'm superior to that. You're here to not only serve God, but you're going to serve me. And, and you know, in churches, you get that separation. And when that separation comes, you, you begin to serve more of the leaders and the past or even the, the leaders and the ministry, ministry leaders more than you serve God. And the most important thing is, like he says here, to serve God. And when we start serving people and people get that arrogance to start promoting that, like, you need to give me a good deal. You need to give me a car. You need to fix my house. You need to, you know, uh, take care of this. And it, and it begins something that becomes bigger than who the people are and bigger than who God really called them to be. And when you go to a church like that and you see people like that, you realize that those people are untouchable. That those people are beyond touch. That, listen, you need to have respect for God's people. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that. 
But what I'm saying is when that level of distinction comes to where someone becomes so arrogant and so boastful that that person is put on a pedestal, that where that person is not even willing to serve or to share Christ or to pray or to go visit someone in the hospital or to go talk to someone that needs counseling, they're too big. You know, they're, they're too big. Trust me, I, 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 I understand the, the, some of the temptations in that, but what Paul is saying is, listen, you have these famous teachers that have these great spiritual gifts and you put them on a pedestal so much so they become arrogant that they don't serve and they would rather be served than to serve God's people. And listen, there's no, no one too big for God and his people. And we should serve. And Jesus was a serve, servant as well. And, and when we think about the humblest that we should have before the Lord, no matter how big it is, God, Paul is telling him here, pride and arrogance is always the evil way. And we should never have that separation. Listen, you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't ever go to someone and say, you know, that I can't pray, you know, because I'm not a spiritual you. Could you pray for me? on my behalf? Could you forgive my sins? Could you take my, you know, receive my offering? Could you do these things? Because that's not, you're not God. You can't do those things. And only that person can do that before God. He can forgive sins and he can, he can restore people's hearts and he can accept prayers, but no man can do that. And when we promote that, when we see that, Paul's saying that's not something that's of love. When you see people that are arrogant, when you see people that won't serve, when you see people that think they're higher or untouchable than there should be a red flag there. So got one more, and we'll finish the rest of them uh, next week. But um, love does not act unbecomingly. Um, the principle here has to do with being rude um, or as being loveless. And um, as you just think about this, when you, you know, you're um, crude or overbearing, um, another way of that, uh, putting that is self-centered. Um, you know, when you get to a point to where you think you're more important than everybody else at church, and so you just, everything should be catered to you, then there's a problem, right? And there's a problem with showing that love, and everyone can't have their own way, right? And I know in our modern society, we've tried the Burger King church, right? You can have it your way, or you can have it, you know, it's your way, right? But in God's kingdom, it's not your way. Sometimes you're going to hear the songs you want to hear. Sometimes you're going to hear the message you want to hear. Sometimes you're going to serve, and sometimes you're going to be served. But every time you come and every time you're a part of a church, it's not what you can get out of it. It's not who's going to serve you. It's not who's going to uh, please your needs. And when it says act unbecomingly, uh, act rudely, or act loveless, or act in a way that's self-centered. And listen, we see this in our culture. It plays out on TV in almost every sports event that you watch on TV now, does it not? When you watch a sports team now, what's the first thing that everyone wants to do? Get to a camera to show themselves that they are the greatest and they are the best and look at my name and look who I am. It's not about the team, it's about the person. And, and when you become so much so that you're steeped in about the person rather than the team, it, it comes across like that. And no wonder why sometimes our, our kids and our uh, our grandkids get confused because they think, hey, we're going to church to serve, but yet when they hear us talk and they hear us be a part of a church, they realize, hey, why has it got to be catered around you? You know, in my home, that's something I fight every, every week. You know, you don't, you're not going to always get what you want to eat, you know, but you're going to sit there and you're going to put it on your plate. And if you don't eat it, then you can throw it away, but you're not, we're not going to cater four different meals for four different people. You know, it's like, you're, because this is not all about you. We are a family, 
And this is part of the family. Well, and many times they don't understand why they can't have this or that, but that's part of learning what it means to be a family, that you're not the center of attention. You're not the one that has to be catered to. And, and when we act that way, we are self-centered. We want everything done our way. Then um, that's always a, a bad testimony and example. That proves that we, that shows we don't have love. And when we have to be that part of it, it, it does not uh, show love. So we're going to stop right there on those um, part of those things. And as you uh, read through this list, I hope the rest of this week, if you get a chance to read through the rest of those, we're going to finish out the not ones, and he's going to go on three um, great phrases that, that love is part of and what God, uh, Paul calls us to be as the church. And so um, we're going to move on through that later on. But I'm going to pray. I'm going to give us some time to respond to that and talk about, you know, that, um, talk about the, the scriptures tonight, and then um, we, will, we will continue on. So let's pray real quick.